Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here as we begin to close out yet another week in the dystopian hellscape known as Biden's America. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, and Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley. You can also reach me by email at Podcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. So send me a note. Let me know what you're thinking as we head into this presidential election year. All right. Uh, next week, we're going to talk to, as we're talking about elections, a great candidate, Abe Hamaday, is going to join us. Abe ran for Attorney General of Arizona in 2022, uh, along with Carrie Lake. He's completely America first. He's incredible. Uh, and they uh, they rigged that election against him as well as Carrie Lake. So he didn't make it. But this time around, he's running for Congress in Arizona. We're going to talk to him. He's also very close to President Trump. And the Trump campaign is apparently going to use his services to reach Arab voters, Muslim voters, So we're going to talk to Abe Hamaday about all of that because, listen, there are a lot of voters in this country who are absolutely alienated from Biden, Kamala Harris, the entire Democratic Party because of this absolute crap show that we are living through right now. And so how do we exploit uh, that opening and really get into these communities and start talking to uh, Arab voters, African-American voters, Latino voters, women, suburban women. The, the Trump campaign is on top of this. And one of the many secret weapons that they are going to utilize to reach these communities and begin to talk to them about how President Trump, the Republican Party, can deliver a better life for them directly uh, Abe Hamaday is going to be one of those, well, maybe not so secret weapons. So he's going to be here. We're going to talk to him about his race, Arizona, election integrity, since he bore the brunt of what the Democrats are capable of in terms of rigging elections, uh, and how to reach voters like Arab voters who have long voted Democrat but are now not too keen on the Democratic Party for a whole variety of reasons. Okay, so we're going to talk to him about that. Okay, later today, we're going to have a really important conversation with Julie Belling. Julie is an author, she's a writer, a director, a filmmaker, and she's written both a book and produced an extraordinary documentary called Beneath Sheep's Clothing. She spent a good deal of time in Russia, in the Soviet Union, 
And she has produced this book and documentary to warn America and the West that there are very dramatic, serious, and important and very dangerous parallels between what went on in the Soviet Union, that kind of totalitarian uh, grip over the people, which is founded in Marxism, but is really about power and control, and what is happening here in America She's got a real warning for the rest of us. This is very important documentary and a very important conversation because as we detail all of the, these things coming at us, and we're going to do that today, we've got to make sense of it in a broader context. And Julie is going to be here to help us do this. This is a very, very smart and important conversation that you are going to want to hear. We've got other really big things uh, planned coming up here for the rest of the month on the Monica Crowley Show. I also want to uh, make clear that Monday is when voting starts. People are like, when are the Iowa caucuses? May, right? No, no, the Iowa caucuses are on Monday, Monday night. Uh, So we're going to be all over that next week. We're going to take apart all of the results here on the show uh, of the Iowa caucus And keep in mind, the caucus is Monday. It's not Tuesday. Usually elections are Tuesday. Uh, Caucuses uh, usually fall on kind of strange days. The Iowa caucus is Monday. We've got other caucuses coming up that fall over the weekend, like on a Saturday. So we're going to be all over this primary election schedule, and we're going to bring you all of the hot results. So you're not going to want to miss a second of the show all year. Under Joe Biden, America has become a dangerous clown car. There are three stories, as I said, and again, we have so much coming at us, but three top-line stories that illuminate just how dangerous a situation we are in. And frankly, I cannot believe that after three years now, three long years of the Joe Biden presidency, that this country is, well, it's hanging by a thread But I cannot believe that it physically still exists because our enemies have been, first of all, rolling their eyes. They cannot believe how stupid, short-sighted, misguided, corrupt this commander-in-chief is and his entire team are. And so I brace for what the deep state and our enemies have planned for this country this year. Uh, It's going to be a wild ride, as we've been saying. Uh, There are going to be some good surprises and some not-so-good surprises. I guarantee it. Um, And so, you know, got to be braced for everything. But I cannot believe that this country has not been hit on the homeland. And again, we don't know what's being planned for this year. Um, And God forbid... And I'm glad that we haven't, but this inherent weakness from this commander-in-chief and his entire team just is inviting this. Just because we haven't been hit doesn't mean that our enemies have not exploited this tremendous weakness. China's on the march everywhere around the world. Central America, South America, the Middle East, Africa, they are everywhere. South China Sea. The Chinese have just run wild. And Xi Jinping told Joe Biden point blank the last time they met that, yeah, he's going to move on Taiwan. If you think what is going on with Russia and Ukraine is dangerous, oh, just wait. Just wait. 
the Russian invasion of Ukraine is the appetizer, and China moving on Taiwan is the main course. Computer chips, automobiles, uh, tech, AI, it's all tied to Taiwan. For the United States and the rest of the West, China moves on Taiwan. Guys, it is game over. Supply chains, all of it, all of it. The national security implications are huge. So our enemies have been exploiting this weakness. They just haven't hit us directly yet. But I guarantee you, it's coming. So in the context of all of this, this week we learn that Lloyd Austin, your defense secretary, has been hospitalized now for, what, 11 days? He's still in the hospital. But he went in, I think, so we later learned that Lloyd Austin has prostate cancer. We all hope he gets better and and is being treated well for this prostate cancer when it's caught early, as apparently this was, I think it's stage one for Lloyd Austin, uh, can be treated, very high survival rate. So we all hope for the best for our defense secretary. However, that's one issue. The second issue is the one that relates to the national security of the United States. Lloyd Austin is one of two national security authorities in America. That means that they have the ability to make very serious national security decisions for America if the other national security authority is in some way incapacitated. Okay, so the two national security authorities in America are the commander-in-chief, the president, and the defense secretary. That's it. Both of them are incapacitated. Joe Biden, because he is completely out to lunch, doesn't know what planet he's on most of the time. And Lloyd Austin, apparently for the last 11 days, has been in the hospital. And about five of those days, nobody knew. Nobody knew. He had prostate cancer, so apparently he had a surgery to deal with that. And, you know, the lies that come out of this administration on a daily basis must be cataloged by someone. Because the first lie was he had elective surgery. Then it was, oh no, he's got prostate cancer. So we went in for a procedure related to that. And then on New Year's Day, had incredible pain doubled over pain, and was rushed in an ambulance to a hospital. The defense secretary rushed to the hospital in an ambulance, and nobody knew. Nobody knew. It didn't leak, but forget about leak. I mean, in the Trump administration, if like a low-level junior staffer were rushed to the hospital, Maggie Haberman at the New York Times would have been all over it, front-page news. And can I just tell you, having been at the Treasury Department in a senior level position, this kind of thing does not happen with regard to a cabinet level position, a cabinet secretary. You cannot get away with it. Not if you have a press corps that's at all interested, which apparently nobody in the press covering Biden or his administration is at all interested in the fact that a cabinet uh, secretary was rushed to the hospital in excruciating pain with God knows what. Because for days on end, none of this was disclosed. When I was at Treasury, if Secretary Mnuchin so much as sneezed, 
We got a whole series of inquiries from the New York Times, the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, all the way, Politico, Axios, you name it. They were all on top of us wanting to know what happened. Oh, the, the, we heard that the Treasury Secretary sneezed. Was it a single sneeze or was it multiple sneezes? Did he use a Kleenex or a cloth handkerchief? Is he being treated for anything? Is this a cold? Could it be the flu? I mean, on and on and on. And certainly during COVID, you know, you'd wake up at like 6.30 in the morning, take a look at your phone, and there were like a million inquiries like, oh, you know, has the uh, Treasury Secretary been tested yet today? Because early on, everybody was being tested pretty much every day. At least the cabinet was uh, being tested every day for COVID. So first thing, there were a million inquiries coming into Treasury like, hey, has he been tested yet? Um, Dude, it's 6.30 in the morning. He's rolling out of bed right now. He's probably in the shower. No, he hasn't been tested yet. Well, when is he going to get tested? What time? Is he going to the White House? Is it the White House physician administering these tests? Report back his uh, results as soon as he gets them. I mean, this was wall-to-wall inquiries Um, certainly every day during COVID, but even prior to that, a cabinet secretary stubs his or her toe and it is headline news. And yet here, you've got the defense secretary out of commission, did not disclose to anyone, and the press corps, both the White House press corps and the DOD press corps, because every agency has reporters assigned to cover it. We had a treasury press corps. All right, DOD certainly has a press corps. Not, not, no curiosity whatsoever. None. Where are these people? We know they're all deeply corrupt, but are you kidding me? One of the two national security authorities in the country is out of commission, doesn't disclose it, and there's no sense of curiosity from any of these reporters. When they were all over us for a stubbed toe. The level of corruption here is just beyond. And then you add that to the national security implications, which is the real story here. So the defense secretary goes into the hospital, tells no one, including his boss, the president of the United States, God help us, the other national security authority in this country, does not tell the commander in chief. Now, look, guys, it's entirely possible that because Joe Biden is senile for all intents and purposes, they don't tell him a lot of stuff because people who have dementia tend to blurt things out. They have no filter. They have no filter. You tell them something and now they're telling everybody. So it's entirely possible that nobody wanted to tell him because they were afraid he's going to blurt it out. But even in that case, there are procedures here, guys, There are national security protocols. There are chain of command protocols in the military with regard to military leadership and the civilian command. All of that broken out the window. Out the window. So, I mean, if you're Xi Jinping sitting in Beijing, you're laughing your butt off, rolling your eyes, and laughing your butt off. Vladimir Putin, the Iranian regime, terrorist organizations, they're all cracking up. They cannot believe this absolute crap show in America. This is so unfitting of a great power. I can't even believe. 
This is so unfitting of a great power. I can't believe it's real. But unfortunately, it is, and it puts all of us in danger. Do you know that in the days where Austin was in the ICU, okay, and again, this would be bad if this were the interior secretary, but it's not, it's the defense secretary. And in the time that he was in the ICU, and God knows what they were doing to him in the ICU, but in that period of time, there were eight separate attacks on U.S. forces in the Middle East while Austin was incapacitated. And then you add to the story that the deputy defense secretary, Kathleen Hicks, was on vacation in Puerto Rico and basically could not be reached for a while. Finally, they reached her, but they wouldn't tell her what was going on. She stayed in Puerto Rico. So the deputy that's supposed to be running things and have the transfer of the National Security Authority to her when the boss is incapacitated was lounging on a beach in Puerto Rico sipping umbrella drinks. So we had nobody in charge of our national security. None. Commander-in-chief didn't know. Chief of staff didn't know. The uh, national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, didn't know. Neither did the Secretary of State. He was asked, Anthony Blinken, he was asked about Secretary Austin, and he said, uh, I had no idea. Listen. With uh, regard to uh, Secretary Austin, uh, I wasn't aware of his um, uh, medical issue. Uh, in fact, I, I talked to, to Lloyd last weekend uh, before this incident, um, and I know that he's put out a statement addressing it. No idea. No idea. So all of the people in charge of America's national security, such as they are, had no clue that their colleague was incapacitated. By the way, they're not talking to each other. Five days go by and the Secretary of State is not talking to the Defense Secretary. When American forces are involved in two kinetic conflicts around the world, in the Middle East, Israel, Hamas, and the broader conflict there. And in Eastern Europe, we've got forces on the ground there, Russia, Ukraine, and we've got forces flung all over the world, China on the march, uh, Iran marching toward a nuclear weapon, and yet they're not talking to each other on a regular basis. They should be speaking every freaking day. And what about the commander-in-chief? He didn't know either for days on end. He's not talking to his defense chief every day when U.S. forces are in the line of fire? Are you kidding me? So nobody is talking. Biden is out to lunch. He's on vacation 40% of his presidency. And the other 60%, they're pumping him with God knows what to keep him upright. And we have no national security structure in this country at all. Unbelievable. Okay, guys, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, I've got two other top-line stories here that show America Last and the dangerous situation we are in in America, thanks to America Last and Joe Biden. Sit tight. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done. Okay, welcome back. The second big story coming at us this week, which shows what a clown car this country has become under Joe Biden and the Democrats, uh, you get America last. And when you get America last, this is what you get. You get children at a Brooklyn high school having been kicked out of their high school to do remote learning as we speak so that 2,000 illegal immigrants who crossed our borders illegally can be put up there. So the American kids, and we're talking about underprivileged kids at this Brooklyn high school, we're talking about the vast majority of whom are minority kids being bounced out of their school that, and I'm sitting here in New York, bounced out of their school that my tax dollars pay for, for American kids to be in their learning. They got bounced out of their school and moved because there was a storm coming. And why is that relevant? And we did have a huge storm here in New York and on the East Coast a couple of days ago. Um, but they were bounced because the illegals have been housed in a like a tent center in a place called Floyd Bennett Field. So they had thousands of illegals in this tent center. And when this big wind and rainstorm was coming, they were like, oh, this tent's not going to do it. So they moved 2,000 illegals out of there and put them in this Brooklyn high school. But then they had to make room so they bounced the American kids. You know what? Instead of moving them into a high school and moving out the uh, American kids whose parents all pay taxes and we all do so that they can get an education, why don't we take the illegals and move them back to where they came from? How about we move them back to their country of origin? That's called deportation. And we're going to do it under President Trump when he's reelected. But in the meantime, you have all of these people in New York who are absolutely pissed. Local residents are pissed because they've got all of these unvetted people living in their neighborhoods, committing crimes, doing God knows what. The teachers are pissed because now they've got to set up Zoom all over again and it's disrupting the students. The students are pissed because they actually want to be in school with their friends. And the parents are pissed because they're all working, or most of them are. And now what? They got to call in sick, call their boss and tell them, hey, man, I can't come in because my kid is home doing remote learning because illegals are now in their schools taken over. So the parents' lives are now disrupted and they got to take a, you know, one of the few days off. Uh, to sit home with their kids, this whole thing, I'm telling you, Biden and the Democrats are creating a backlash. They're going to reap the whirlwind of this, and maybe not in a major way, but it's starting. The transition is starting because all of these people in these deep blue areas like New York, like Chicago, like Detroit, you're seeing them. They are pissed, pissed. And you know what? The Democrats are replacing, yes, I use the word replacing, replacing black voters who they sense are starting to gradually move away from the Democratic Party. They're replacing them with illegals. Watch. And it's starting to dawn on black voters and Latino voters that this is what's happening because they're the ones bearing the brunt of this. They're the ones getting screwed. 
You look at the footage from these town halls in Chicago and in New York now with this illegal immigration nightmare, and most of them are minorities. They're black voters, they're Latino voters, and they are pissed. Oh, you guys are no longer the favorites among the minority hierarchy that the left has set up. You guys are no longer the favorites. The illegal immigrants are. Their frustration is coming out like crazy. Kids have to stay home and do remote learning, which we all know after the pandemic sucks. Massive, massive learning loss. So they're taking the American kids, subjecting them to learning loss because the New York City government is commandeering their schools to house illegal aliens. They are depriving these kids of an in-person education to house people who shouldn't even be here and don't have a right to be here to begin with. Okay? So this is Joe Biden's America Last in a nutshell, and people are pissed. Not just you and me. And I'm a taxpayer in New York and I am livid. But it's not just me as a conservative who didn't vote for this nightmare. It's minority voters. It's it's others who actually did vote for this nightmare. And now they're waking up and they are livid. 70,000 illegals from among the 162,000 who have arrived in the five boroughs of New York City uh, from the U.S. border since the spring of 2022 remain in the city's care. New York remains a sanctuary city, so everybody's got to live with it unless and until they change their sanctuary status. And I don't see that happening, do you? No. That's not happening. There, there are no calls. There, there's no move by Eric Adams and the city council and everybody else in San Francisco and Chicago to change their sanctuary city status. No, certainly not from the federal government and not from these cities or these states. Here is Elise Stefanik. Uh, she is in the GOP leadership, of course, and she also represents a district in New York State. Listen. It outrages every New Yorker and every American. And if you look at the polling, Brian, 84 percent of New Yorkers believe that this is a border crisis and they know it's a direct result of Joe Biden's failed policies and Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul's failed policies when they rolled out the red carpet, claimed they're a sanctuary city, a sanctuary state. Now look at who's paying the price, hardworking New York families. And in the case of this school, over 60 percent of those kids come from economically disadvantaged families. That is unacceptable. These parents now don't know what to do. And we know there is a negative impact when you're forced to do remote learning. So it is unacceptable. House Republicans, we pass legislation not allowing illegals to displace students in our schools. The Senate needs to take it up and we need to secure the border. So, Yep, it is completely outrageous. And the backlash to this is going to be something. The Democrats either don't know it or they know it and don't care because this illegal immigration situation with the wide open border is uh, serving their short, medium, and long-term interests to change the United States demographically, politically, culturally, and everything else to turn it into a one-party country, with them, of course, at the top. So they either don't know the backlash that's coming, or they do know and they simply don't care. Either way, we're the ones left holding the bag. Right. Um, One final uh, clown show story here. And again, there's so much coming at us. We're going to delve deeper into this all next week. 
But Hunter Biden, we've got to cover him. So today, Hunter Biden is appearing in federal court in Los Angeles to offer a plea to three felony charges and six misdemeanors related to this years-long alleged scheme of tax evasion, avoiding paying taxes and on all of these ill-gotten gains from China, Ukraine, Romania, God knows where. I mean, people don't, people are, this, this is what the Biden impeachment process is all about. Everybody is asking, what is the source of the money that he avoided paying taxes on? He had all of this money coming in. Where did it come from and for what? What did he do for these tens of millions of dollars, right? Well, one thing he did do when he got the money was avoid paying taxes, allegedly. That's what uh, this plea is all about in uh, Los Angeles today. And we've gotten records that show that he took that money rather than paying his taxes He was taking that money and buying hookers, drugs, going to sex clubs, all kinds of crazy activity from Hunter Biden. So he is standing in federal court in Los Angeles, uh, entering the plea today. Yesterday, he was across the country in Washington, D.C., which deteriorated into a complete clown show in Congress because you've got the House Judiciary Committee They did advance a resolution to hold Hunter in contempt after he came to Capitol Hill in December to make a public statement, but chose not to show up for a private deposition. That is the uh, process. Private deposition first, then public testimony. And the House Republicans have said, we are going to follow this process. This is standard operating procedure. Hunter is no exception to the rule. He comes in for a private deposition, so they get him on the record uh, for hours, just like Don Jr. and Eric Trump and the the rest of everybody does this process. You go through that, they get you on the record, and then comes the public testimony, whether it's weeks or months later. That is the way it's done, but not for Hunter, because he's a protected class. You understand, remember when uh, Joe Biden said, uh, nobody messes with a Biden? Totally cringeworthy, but he was actually telling the truth. Nobody messes with a Biden because they are a protected class, just like Hillary Clinton, just like Barack Obama, just like anybody on the left. They are a protected class. So Hunter can pick and choose what he's going to do in terms of the law. Oh, well, that law doesn't apply to me, or this procedure doesn't apply to me. I'll show up when I want. I'll do what I want. So yesterday he showed up at this hearing and it was a, you know, huge crap show. And, you know, uh, Comer is sitting there, he's presiding over it. Nancy Mace, a Republican out of South Carolina, she was just on this show. She made news because she wanted to know who bribed Hunter to be there and, well, said a whole variety of other things to Hunter. Listen. First question is, who bribed Hunter Biden to be here today? That's my first question. Um, Second question, you are the epitome of white privilege, coming into the oversight committee, spitting in our face, ignoring a congressional subpoena to be deposed. What are you afraid of? You have no balls to come up here and... Mr. Chairman, point of inquiry. Mr. Chairman, 
Um, if the, the lady recognizes, if the general lady I'm wants to hear from Hunter Biden, we can hear from him right now, Mr. And Chairman. Let's take a vote and hear from Hunter Biden. What are you afraid of? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Order, order, order. Are women allowed to speak in here or no? Are women allowed to speak in here or no? Because you keep interrupting me. I'll interrupt the chairman. I don't know that he's a lady. I think that that Hunter Biden should be arrested right here, right now, and go straight to jail. Our nation is founded on the rule of come law. Come on, come on. And the premise come that on. the law applies equally to everyone, no oh, matter oh, what your last Point of order, is. Mr. Chairman. Well, that was pure fire. Uh, Nancy May saying you have no balls to come up here. <laughs> um, look, Hunter then, when Marjorie Taylor Greene wanted to question him uh, about sex trafficking and moving hookers across state lines and all this illegal stuff. Hunter and his lawyers, Abby Lowell and the rest of them, got up and stormed out in very dramatic fashion. And guys, that was uh, for two reasons. One, because Hunter is above the law, whereas uh, Donald Trump is below the law, and they're crucifying him, and that judge in that New York case also won't even allow him to make a public statement today as that ridiculous, bogus uh, civil fraud cri- uh, trial wraps up today in New York. Uh, it's just it, Trump is below the law, but the Bidens are above the law. So number one, Hunter just doesn't believe anything applies to him, so he walked out before MTG could question him. Um, and the second reason is, one of Hunter's friends, and this, this uh, week we also learned that Hunter knew 70% of the people who bought his ridiculous art. Well, of course, they were friends. They're big Democratic donors. And there were no uh, ethics agreements in place. We also learned that. Remember when Corrine Jean-Pierre was asked about Hunter's so-called art? And she's like, well, the White House Counsel's Office has developed uh, an ethics uh, regimen to go through uh, for anybody, whether it's gallerists or potential buyers, there will be an ethics regime to go through to make sure that all of this is done on the up and up. Well, we learned this week, no ethics regime at all in place. Obviously not. So one of his friends, um, maybe who bought the art, but one of his friends is financing a fluff piece documentary on the first son. And so they had the cameras all rolling while he stormed out of Congress. So again, twofold. So number one, Hunter is relaying to everybody that he is untouchable. He's a Biden. Nobody messes with a Biden, as Joe said. So untouchable. And putting it right in all of our faces that the rules just simply don't apply to him the way they apply to you and me. And secondly, they're rolling tape for this documentary going to show how Hunter is such a victim. He's just a victim at the hands of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Nancy Mace and James Comer and, and Donald Trump and the American people. And, oh, he's so put upon. He's so put upon. And he doesn't have to stand for this. That's why he stormed out in dramatic fashion. The whole thing, guys, is theater. All of it. All of it is theater including these negotiations over the budget, which involves the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, and I wanted to like him, and, and, and I wanted to give him a chance, but going down this road, giving the Democrats literally everything they want for a nothing burger on the border, oh, hell no. Hell no. 
It's all theater. They, they, they work behind the scenes, behind closed doors, create uh, these situations, create these deals, and then they go through the theater of, oh, look, we're fighting so hard. No, you're not. You're lying to our faces. And the American people are sick of it. I'm sick of all of this. And I'm also sick of the lies that we've been told now for four years. Okay, this is January of 24. COVID alighted on the scene in January of 2020. So we've been going through these lies and this kind of, these these, uh, tyrannical power grabs for four years. All right, so we're all so angry about this, uh, everything that's going on. But this is a direct result of this Marxist revolution. And we are now going to turn to Julie Belling. She has now produced and written uh, both a book and an extraordinary documentary about how we got here called Beneath Sheep's Clothing. Uh, She's got a background in Russia. She was in Russia. She's going to talk to us about the parallels between uh, what went on in the Soviet Union and what is going on in America today. You're not going to want to miss this very, very important conversation to make sense of everything that we just laid out today and everything that we are living through right now. Sit tight. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Right now, I want to turn to a real expert who has seen this firsthand and has done some incredible work to open everybody's eyes to it. I'm delighted to welcome Julie Beeling. Julie is, uh, she was a missionary in Russia in the late 1990s, and I definitely want to ask her about that because that is a fascinating experience that informs so much of what we're talking about. She's also a homeschool mom, yay, and a filmmaker. Her new film, and there's a book by the exact same name, is called Beneath Sheep's Clothing, The Communist Takeover of Culture in the USSR and Parallels in Today's America. The uh, website for the film is BeneathSheepsClothing.com. The documentary website is also BeneathSheepsClothing.movie. And you can find her on social media at Julie A. Beeling, B-E-H-L-I-N-G. So please go check her out in all of those locations. And Julie joins us now. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, of course, it's my pleasure. We have so much to break down. (laughs) Julie, we've got a lot to excavate here. Uh, First, congratulations on the film and the book, Beneath uh, Sheep's Clothing. We can see it over your head there. Uh, The book, it's a very important uh, time for this kind of message, for you to bring this to everybody. Before we get into it, as I mentioned in your intro, you were a missionary in Russia in the late 1990s. So the wall had come down. Russia was in chaos uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what that experience was like and how it informed your approach to talking about where we are in America today? 
Yeah, I mean, I was just your average American kid going to school and I, and I went to college. Um, and then afterwards, I went to Russia on my mission and definitely living for a year and a half in a post-communist society was very eye-opening. I saw a lot of poverty. I saw a lot of, especially the older people, a lot of trauma, people who had been obviously traumatized. And I knew, I knew very little about Soviet history at the time when I was there, before I was there. I think the first time I heard of the Gulag was when I was in Russia as a missionary and really knew very, very little. Who, who in American schools learns about Russian and Soviet history? Almost no one. And it really, actually the thing that shocked me the most um, during my time as a missionary was out of maybe like a thousand people that I asked if they believed in God, can you guess how many people said no? Mm-hmm. All of them. One. One. Yeah. yeah. One person said they didn't believe in God. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Everyone else said yes. Either they, yes, they did believe, did believe in God or they didn't know, but, but they were open to it. And so 70 plus years of communist rule and forcible implementation of atheism, even just a few years after the collapse of that system, and most of the populace still believed in God or was was open to it. That's pretty incredible. It is really incredible. And it shows the strength of the character of the Russian people and the power of faith as well, um, because every communist system bans God. So let's talk about that, okay? Right. Because that that's the critical first element, and then the politics and the economics of Marxism all come secondary. One of the very first things that communists do when they seize power is ban God, any kind of organized religion, any kind of worship. And the reason for that is because the state is supposed to replace God. The state is supposed to be your everything, your job, your community, your family, your paycheck, your friends. It is the state that's supposed to replace all of that. So the state cannot compete with a higher being. So it's got to ban it. And that's why in every communist country, the, the churches go underground and people still find a way to worship, but it's very difficult and a lot of persecution. So can you talk about what um, you saw in Russia and then what you're seeing the parallels today in the United States with this kind of increased secularism? Yeah. So I really... Um... After I, my mission, I came back to the U.S. and I got a dual master's in Russian and East European studies and Russian language and literature. And then I studied Soviet history, um, Russian literature of the 20th century, and really it was heartbreaking. And then I wrote my master's thesis on underground Christian movements in the Soviet Union and their survival tactics and the tactics of the Soviet state to try to dismantle Christianity. And that's where I really gained, for two years, I was like neck deep in this primary source material and really um, absorbing what happened to Christians in the Soviet Union. And I focused on the, the post-World War II, the Soviets kind of retooled their tactics. Their early tactics were very crude. It was, you know, arrest, imprison, execute clergy, ban religion. Um, and I mean, there were some exceptions to that, but it was pretty brutal. They realized that bred a lot of underground movement, Christian and religious movements. So they decided, okay, we're going to stop persecuting all Christians and we're going to focus our efforts um, on persecuting just the fringe groups that everyone considers to be cults. It's low cost to persecute them, but it sends a message to everyone. And in the Soviet Union, those cults that they continued to you know, arrest, send to the Gulag, they were underground Baptists, underground Pentecostals, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses. 
But then the mainstream churches were, they were allowed to print Bibles after World War II. Sure, print Bibles. Sure. You can have a seminary. You can even have Bible conferences, Bible conventions. But they infiltrated those churches with KGB agents that went in posing as clergy. And they they controlled the church from within. They had the sermons had to be approved. They the the new KGB clergy, you know, got the members to follow the new rules that the Soviet government implemented, which is, oh, you can't bring your children to church. They have to be 18 to go to church. Can't teach your children to pray at home, not allowed. If someone wants to be baptized, there's a three-year wait list. So what I've seen in America parallel to that, um, we don't see Christians rounded up and sent to prison camps here in America. But we have seen um, a few cases of fringe movements that everyone considers to be cults receive very brutal treatment at the hands of our government. There's two main cases that are that were in the news in America in the last few decades. The Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, 1993. The FLDS in Texas also, 2008. No one likes these groups. No one, most people don't agree with them. However, that doesn't mean that it's okay what the government did. That's a whole other thing. Then we have the communist infiltration of America's churches beginning over a century ago. And when I first discovered that, that really, my heart sank. Um, And there's a lot to tell about that. Yes. And I want to hit a quick break. But on that point, Julie, um, you know, people only now are starting to see with the FBI infiltrating the Catholic Church and the Department of Justice denying it, but there's all this documentation and things for the House Oversight Committee and other committees that are exposing, you know, that the uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland, the FBI Director Chris Wray, they'll go to Capitol Hill and lie to Congress committing perjury. Oh, we're not targeting Catholics. Well, yeah, you are. And we've got all this evidence, including eyewitnesses, you know, people who have been targeted by this weaponization of our own government. Um, So speaking of today, Julie, can you talk to us about who today's Marxists are? And I think a lot of Americans think of Marxists as, you know, Vladimir Lenin and Joseph Stalin and people of the past in a foreign country. But talk to us about uh, who the American Marxists are, where they are, who they are and what they're doing. Sure. And I'll go one step further. I'm going to talk about the five groups of people that are Marxist communist enablers in America, because most people who spread communism, Marxism in America, they don't know that's what they're doing. So and that that's really important to understand. It's kind of like a pyramid. At the top, you've got the money bags, the puppet masters. And to be honest, these people are usually not communists themselves. In America, we've seen um, super capitalists fund funding communist agendas. And why is that? Because the super capitalists and the communists both are seeking a very high decentralized power in their hands. So they'll work together just fine. The next level down from the money bags is the avowed communists. That's a very tiny percentage of people in America that are true blue communists. Next level down is the fellow travelers. These are the leftists and progressives that they don't want communism. They don't want the mass murder and the starvation that come with communism, but they agree with the communists on a lot of things. So they work together to push things left and they feel good in the process of doing so. The next level down is the dupes, the people that fall for the the lines. Communism in, in the Soviet Union, it was bread, land and peace that was promised to the masses. Bread, well, how did that work out for them? We had massive famine in Ukraine. 
the government came and took their bread. Peace. There was quite a lot of war, <laughs> a lot of bloodshed and, and, and land. Yeah, the government came and took the land forcibly from the peasants. Now, here in America, we have its equity. We're going to have this equitable future. No one's going to be left behind. We're going to help all the oppressed classes. That's what Marxism is. You you find an, a, a, an oppressed class of people or someone who can be made to feel oppressed. You find the oppressor. You say, hey, that's your oppressor. Come and tear that down and, and your life's going to be great. And then the communists come in into that power vacuum and seize control. It's about the centralization of power, but they have these nice sounding promises that people fall for. That's level one dupes. Level two dupes is the the fifth group of people that are communist enablers. These are people who know that something's not right with these agendas. Something doesn't smell right, but they're too scared to speak out. They don't want to be called a bigot. They don't want to be called a homophobe. And so they keep quiet. And all of these groups are helping to enable these communist agendas. You know, Vladimir Lenin had a famous phrase, useful idiots, right? Yes. So yes. It, people who weren't aware of Marxist ideology and how Marxism functions in the real world, you know, they, they could be workers who fall for the workers of the world unite slogan and the evil right. capitalists are exploiting me or college kids who are idealistic, who have no idea, and everybody in between. We call them low-information voters, but you, you get the idea. So what you just laid out is really critical, that that pyramid of people who may not be avowed Marxist-Leninists, but they are supporting the agenda, whether it's wittingly or unwittingly, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and so in order for us to stop these agendas, we need to understand do we fall in one of these five categories? And if so, what are we going to do about that? And of course, educating the populace is is crucial for this. And, you know, oh, yeah, it's really a tiny percentage of these avowed Marxists, but they 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 were paid, they were funded to infiltrate all aspects of our culture. We had Antonio Gramsci, an Italian Marxist, who, who came up with cultural Marxism, a way to infiltrate the West so that it would fall to communism. They had to infiltrate education, the church, media, the legal system, and the family. And what do we see today in America? All of these cultural bedrock institutions are very badly damaged with Marxist ideologies. And we're in a very precarious position right now. We've got to do something yeah. You know, I remember for years, Julie, being on TV, Fox News, Fox Business, other networks, and I would warn about what I called socialism. And the only reason I used the word socialism for years was because I didn't want to scare the bejesus out of everybody. But I knew it was Marxism. I knew it was straight up communism. And I remember like, you know, going on with Bill O'Reilly, who again is still a friend, but I would talk about socialism. I'd talk about Barack Obama as a committed socialist, and I'd get the reaction like, Crowley, you're crazy socialism. What are you talking about? There's no socialism here. And now it's full-blown Marxism. We talk about it very openly as we should, but we have lost so much time. Julie, they've been at this for almost a century to knock over the United States and the West. So we are very late to the game here. What is your advice to the average American who might be hearing this conversation for the first time about how we can fight back? Right. Well, the good news is that there are more people in America who actually like America 
than there are of the people that want to destroy America. And if we can get enough people aware of these agendas and are just not going to go along with them, then we can stop this from being fully implemented. We need moms and dads and grandparents of of children and grandchildren who are in the schools. We need to realize that these have turned into indoctrination camps. They look like the types of schools that we went to when we were kids, but within the schools and the teachers, it's not their choice. It's the, it's the, curricula, the social and emotional learning and ethnic studies curricula that they are they have to teach or they lose their job, that this is actually brainwashing our children. It's removing Judeo-Christian ethics as the foundational ideology of our children and replacing it with woke Marxism. And we need to remove our children from the schools. We need to deprogram our children. I'm sorry, it's hard. I'm I'm I myself homeschool my nine-year-old son and I'm a single mom. It's not easy. And I know, and we need communities to come together and help people who aren't able to homeschool, set up micro schools, um, work together. Then we have the churches. We need people to become aware of these agendas, educate their pastors. We need people to to be worshiping. Uh, we didn't even have time to go into what the, the infiltration of the church looks like. That's a whole other topic. I hope people will watch the film Beneath Sheep's Clothing when it comes out in January um, because they'll get a good education on that. We need to know what that looks like within the church, and we need to just say, no, we're not doing that. Right. One final question for you, Julie, because I think the average American hearing this conversation gets terrified, and rightfully so, um, and gets overwhelmed, because every direction they look in, they see that the Marxists have control. There's political Marxism with the complete takeover of our government and the weaponization of government. They look at economic Marxism. Uh, the kind of out of control spending and socialist economic programs. They look at educational Marxism that you're talking about, the indoctrination of our kids, the takeover of our schools. And then they see cultural Marxism. So yes, it's Hollywood movies, television, music, but it's also the drag shows for little kids and all of that kind of stuff, the gender agenda, all of that is cultural Marxism. And I think the average American feels very overwhelmed and might feel a little disheartened that we've let this happen to the country. And then, you know, what can I do as a single person? So again, try to try to give people some real tools that they can use. And I know you do that in the film as well, but give them a right. some hope about turning this around and what they can do. Right. We're adults here and we need to look at the truth. And yet, like, listen, when, when I wrote most of my book between 2009 and 2011, and yeah, I was very, very disturbed. And then I, I had to, I set it aside. I had some other things I had to do and I kind of had a mental block. I couldn't finish the book. And then and I don't, I don't think I was supposed to finish it. Then I set it aside for almost a decade. I came back to it and finished it in the early 2022. And even I was shocked at how much worse things were. And I was super freaked out for a couple of days, but then I just absorbed it. Okay. This is the reality. I've got to accept this now that I know what the enemy is now I know how to act to be able to defeat the enemy. If we don't understand the enemy playbook, we have no chance of foiling it. We have to understand it. We have to accept it. We have to be big boys and big girls. And literally understanding the agendas, that alone is powerful. And if we have a mass, we are having a mass awakening right now already. We have we have a chance of really preventing this from going full tilt. I think we can. I think we will. And I will do everything I can to make that possible. And I hope everyone listening will too. Open eyes and knowledge are power. 
And I want to thank you so much for being here. The book and the film are called Beneath Sheep's Clothing. And Julie, tell us where everybody can see the film and where they can get the book. Right. Go to beneathsheepsclothing.movie and watch the trailer. And there's also a link there to purchase the book if you'd like. All of our information, we have live premieres in Phoenix, Arizona, January 11th, uh, St. George, Utah, January 12th, Salt Lake City, January 13th. And then we have our online premiere January 19th. All the ticket information is available at beneathsheepsclothing.movie. Well, thank you so much for being here, Julie, and for producing this really important book and film. You are certainly doing your part to wake everybody up, open everybody's eyes, and arm them with the reality as terrifying as it is, but you can't defeat the enemy within without knowing who the enemy is and what they're all about. So thank you so much, Julie. Great to see you. Thank you for having me. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for me. Thank you so much for being here and for checking out our great sponsors. We all really appreciate that. Have a fantastic end to your week and a wonderful weekend. And I will see you right back here next week with the results of the Iowa caucuses. Plus, we're going to talk to Abe Hamaday, and we've got so much more lined up. So have a great weekend, and I will see you then. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Bayhockle Entertainment, LLC. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 